You're listening to Popaganda, the feminism and pop culture podcast. Today, we're focusing on fandom. One of the coolest things about fans is how they reinterpret the thing that they love. Musicians will write covers of their favorite songs, and visual artists will make work inspired by famous drawings and paintings and sculptures. And writers, well, we often like to write new stories based on our favorite films and books and TV shows. The world of fan fiction is rich and diverse. In a lot of fan fiction, writers pen new romantic storylines for their beloved characters. And that includes a lot of queer storylines. Fanfiction writers often play off a queer subtext in the original story, like think Sherlock and Watson, or envision an entirely new romantic storyline that's not in the original work at all, like, say, mm, Hagrid and Dumbledore. These days, there are thousands and thousands of queer fanfiction stories. The fan-led remixing genre has flourished online. But how did queer fanfiction get its start? Journalist Noi Threpkew looked into the origins of queer fanfiction for a 2003 article in Bitch Magazine. We've adapted her article, and I'm excited to share it here. Serena Fong reads the piece called Fantastic Voyage. The kiss was not at all like Kirk had expected. Spock, wait, wait, he whispered desperately. I can't, we can't. You, God, Spock, I want you. Don't you understand? I want you so much. Kirk still couldn't believe that the Vulcan knew what he was getting himself into. Don't worry, Star Trek fans. You didn't miss an episode. That's an excerpt from Christmas Gifts or Blue Seduction, a piece of queer Star Trek fanfiction. If you haven't been poring over fanzines or trolling the web recently, you might not have come across the juicy encounters, gender play, and fiercely feminist theorizing found in the world of fanfiction. The subgenre of fanwritten stories that's particularly about pairing up same-sex characters is called slash fanfiction, as in the punctuation mark between the names of its lover heroes like Kirk slash Spock. Slash fanfiction was born at the end of the 1960s, when inventive Star Trek fans started penning steamy rendezvous between Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock in photocopied fanzines. But it wasn't until the 1990s that slash fiction truly flourished. With the advent of the internet and its discussion groups, a growing subculture of fanfiction writers and readers could share and critique each other's work. As the number of stories increased, so too did the range of potential pairings. Intrepid slash writers primarily women writing for other women, gleefully found the love that dare not speak its name between just about everyone. There are slash stories written about everyone you can think of. Starsky and Hutch, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, Harry Potter and Draco Malfoy. Harry Potter authors hasten to assure readers that their stories feature the characters in their late teens. Slash does attend to female-female pairings too, but the vast majority of it focuses on men. The relationship dynamics in Slash have become just as varied as the couples. Initially steeped in first-time male love between two comrades-in-arms, Slash has developed into a free-for-all. Slash also attracts critical attention from social theorists, many of whom ponder one of the more interesting questions about the genre. Why do Slash writers, who are mostly straight women writing for an audience of other straight women, create fiction that focuses on gay male romance? Although theories abound, Slash has become so diverse that it easily thwarts anyone trying to find one generalizing principle. 
like all fan fiction, Slash turns pop culture consumers into creators. It thrives on a sort of dialogue between fan and character. But it goes one step further than most fanfic by openly interrogating static pop culture notions of masculine and feminine. Slash stories often experiment with, discard, and reinvent ideas about gender. Writing male characters as lovers allows a richer sense of possibility than duplicating the well-worn boy-girl romances coughed up by most TV shows. Early slash fiction relied on a familiar pattern. Two men served together for a greater purpose, like exploring the galaxy. The hazards of the job bring them closer. As macho discourse would have it, those who spill blood together become bound by it. With danger comes conflict, fevered words that can barely mask the slowly creeping awareness. Stammered confessions, blissful reciprocation, ecstatic consummation, a delicious formula. Much of early Slash follows this first-time love scheme in which two men who have always identified as straight fall in love with each other. Why would Slash writers dwell on such a theme? A lot of the good first-time pieces read like rapturous coming-of-age stories, with equal parts lust and self-discovery. A first time, too, perhaps, for many of the writers who, being women, have likely never had boy and boy sex. Their heroes are just discovering their manly love, and the writers are learning right along with them. For many writers, Slash is also a venue for sexual exploration and experimentation. And what better way to chart new territory than to use two unfamiliar bodies in search of love? Slash doesn't limit itself to vanilla man love, however. Many pieces explore interesting power dynamics. The first Slash piece I ever read was a multi-part account of a very unusual X-Files relationship, the enslavement of FBI agent Mulder by his boss, Assistant Director Skinner. I just had a bad dream. Let me get some clothes on. Graphics accompanying the story showed Skinner's bald head superimposed on a leather daddy's body with a groveling Mulder clutching his boots. Other Slash is infused with a hurt and comfort element. One character suffers some unspeakable pain or torture, and the other offers nurturing solace. One subset of Slash is the off-scorned Mary Sue story, where the writer inserts a new player, often a thinly-veiled version of herself, into a dalliance with a favorite character. Mary Sue fiction tends to feature simpering female characters flirting with a manly object of desire, missing many of the tantalizing possibilities of Slash. Instead of re-envisioning TV stories, Mary Sue's Slash too often seems to settle for instant libido gratification for only one person, the writer. Slash authors are a very self-aware, self-analyzing community. Add this to a lively academic debate on fiction, and you have a rich melange of debate that makes the idea of a grand, unified theory of Slash fan fiction seem laughable. Slash is gay. Slash isn't gay. Slash is neither, or a little bit of both. Slash lets women assert power over men the way the patriarchy asserts power over women. Slash lets women humanize and redraft masculinity. Slash is about nookie. Slash isn't about sex at all. Slash allows women to explore collaborative ways of writing that subvert copyright. Scholar Constance Penley takes a feminist approach to Slash analysis. Penley argues that female-slash-authors focus on male-male relationships because they're the most egalitarian. Basing her theories on Kirk, Spock, slash-fiction, Penley critiques the flat characterization of female TV characters and the limitations of what TV and media culture depict as male-female relationships. But in real life, she also argues, 
women's bodies are too often layered with negative meanings and therefore become the site for political, social, and moral struggle. Stories pairing Kirk and Spock are a rejection of those problematic bodies and of TV's flat female characters. Instead, writers serve up a subversive rewriting of the script. Lovers can share romance and work and still be equal. But the more Slash I read, the more convinced I became that no one analysis could explain the varieties of Slash, the bent of all Slash writers, the political leanings, or the story rewriting that happens on a daily basis on the internet. What erotic fanfiction means depends on who you ask. For all its whimsy and strangeness, science fiction mirrors our own reality. And Slash seems to reflect that combination. Many Slash writers are compelled to redraft male characters so they are a bit more communicative and tender, qualities stereotypically associated with women. But there are pitfalls if one goes too far. Some Slash stories have lantern-jawed guys coming home with flowers every day, tying on pink aprons, weeping over lost football games. These stereotypes, feminine or no, are boring, despite the genders involved. Sometimes Slash writers go in the other direction, writing reams about stoic, uncommunicative, hot men having sex. And while that can be fun for a while, the stories that have received the most acclaim in the world of erotic fanfiction are ones that show why these men are with each other and what's behind the sex. In other words, the best stories feature characters who are more like real people than the characters you find on TV. With a relationship that airs in real TV time, there's just enough negative space for a writer's imagination to fill in. The tension between two characters who aren't already in a relationship is much more promising, however. Star Trek Voyager's Seven of Nine and Captain Janeway, for example, have proved quite enticing to many Slash writers. Slash writers, along with authors of other fanfiction, have changed TV and movie watching from a passive act into one that is participatory, allowing the deciphering and creation of meaning. That a Slash writer can grapple with gender and power issues adds extra richness to the already subversive practice of writing fanfic. Luckily, there's no shortage of material. Television leaves a lot to be desired, which means more room for Slash writers to fill with their imaginations. Even if TV changes dramatically for the better, with more programs that highlight deep, complex characters and show a broader range of social issues, loves, and sexual orientations, I'm sure that slash writers will always find their space. That article by Noi Thrupkew was read by Serena Fong. Noi went on from writing about queer fan fiction for Bitch to become an astoundingly impressive independent journalist who writes frequently about international politics, culture, and human trafficking. She most recently served as a spring 2015 Ferris professor at Princeton University, where she taught a seminar on international news. Clearly, I'm a fan. You're listening-